Right, guys, before we get into things, I want to give a shout out to the continued sponsor for this podcast. Uh, Adapt Athletic Performance and Therapy is their name. You'll find them on Instagram. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can click the link in the description to the Instagram page. If you're on Spotify, then you can go into Instagram, look up adapt underscore Sligo. You'll find the page there. All the contact details and stuff like that are on the page. Give them a follow if you can, and the support is much appreciated. Hello everyone, how are things? Ryan Bailey here, bringing you episode number 10 of the Ball Talk podcast. Glad to say today we have the first soccer player onto the podcast, former Sligo Rovers captain and current El Paso soccer player, Richie Ryan. Um, for those of you who don't know who Richie is, Richie captain Sligo Rovers in 2011 uh, to the FAI 4 Cup final, uh, won two FAI Cups at Rovers. Um, I really enjoyed the podcast. I hope you do too. We could go through a bit of a rundown of, of the clubs that Richie was at, his career, um, and hit the future as well. So uh, hopefully you enjoy. Uh, please like, share, and subscribe or follow if you're on Spotify and uh, enjoy the podcast. Here we go. Enter full screen. Should we go to go? How are you, Richie? Rain, how are you? Not too bad. What's the crack? Not much, not much. I'm just enjoying a bit of peace and quiet here. Mrs. and the kids are gone out, so. Oh, you're sound so you're you're midday over there. Yeah, one o'clock here now, quarter past one, so it's a uh, peak, peak sunshine at the moment. Not too bad. How is how is Texas? Texas here and now, isn't it? Yeah, Texas now, yeah. Um it's hot. It's yeah. Far too hot. Uh, I think it's 30, 35 degrees here today, so, um, yeah, that's why I'm, that's why I'm sitting in the shade. You're dead right, you're dead right. Yeah. How's um, all treating you now, the whole lockdown over there? It's, I know over here, we're, we're moving fairly quick over here, shops are opening up again now, what's it like over in the States? Yeah, it, it's pretty much the same now, um, things are starting to open up fairly fast, Um. Yeah, the, the last couple of months have been tough, tough, stuck in the house and trying to occupy the kids and yeah. that, that's that been the toughest part for me anyway, um, trying to keep keep them busy and keep them occupied but thankfully things are opening back up now and shops and restaurants and stuff are opening back up and we're, we're starting back to, starting back, we've started back training in groups of 10 now as well so it's not oh, been too stuff. bad. Yeah, we're slowly getting back to, well, when I say normality, it's going to be a new normal, but sure, we're getting back yeah, to it anyways. I, I know, I, I think that's it, it's going to be a new normal, but the quicker we all get used to it, the better, and we can we can sort of move on and just realise that that's, it is what it is now. Exactly. So, Richie, we're going to we're gonna dig into your career. I, I had a, have a list here in front of me. I might as well call it out. So and when I say Richie Ryan, when I say former Sunderland, Scunthorpe United, Boston United, Royal Antwerp, Sligo Rovers, Dundee United, Shamrock Rovers, Ottawa Fury, Jacksonville Armada, Miami FC, FC Cincinnati, and current El Paso locomotive footballers. That's twelve if I'm if I match this correct. <laughs> how well, do you find I suppose yeah. first question, Richie, how do you find the whole moving round? Because like there's a lot of clubs here you're spending maybe um like a full season with or you know maybe a certain a certain amount of the year maybe not even a full year how do you find the whole moving around um it, it's got tougher it's got tougher in over the last over the last few years especially since coming to since coming to north america 
um, obviously it's a lot more spread out over here. Um, and then we've had two kids over the last over the last five years, so you gather up a lot more items in the in the house, which means you have to you take you take more with you when you leave again. Um, so yeah, that that's it's taken me a while to get used to it. To be honest, um, back back home, it, it was difficult moving away when I was younger. But then in Ireland, you know, you, you go from one club to the other. It, it's not that much. There's not that much of a difference in distance. Yeah, and like as we said there at the start, like we'll go back to the very start with Sunderland. So you're yeah. you're 35 now. So um, if I'm right, you would have gone to Sunderland what 19 years ago, 2001. Yeah, yeah. So t- <laughs> you're making me feel you're making me feel old here. <laughs> I know I'm not taking the piss now, right? Then, but uh, we'll talk about <laughs> you going you going over to Sunderland. How did you get over to to Sunderland in the first place? Um. Yeah, I, I was fortunate enough. I, I played a, I played a game for Templemore FC uh, in Tipperary when I was twelve. They played against Home Farm in a pre-season friendly, and then the following week, Belvedere uh, schoolboys came down to to play Templemore back home, and um, I was fortunate enough that I played well in that game. And, and after the game, Belvedere approached me, mum and dad, about about going to play with them that season. So from twelve until sixteen. I moved. I didn't move. I, I I played four seasons up with up with Belvedere, and then I I think back then it back then it was you had to be in Dublin to get spotted to go to England. Yeah. More often than not, um, I think it, it's changed now. Thankfully for for players from from the country and stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I was just fortunate enough that I had a few clubs ask me in from like fourteen to sixteen. And I, I narrowed it down to, to Tottenham and, and to Sunderland. And it, it ended up, I just felt as if Sunderland was the place that I was going to feel feel more at home. Yeah. And just actually looking at the, I was looking up the Sunderland squads from your time there uh, just today. And there was a lot of a lot of Irish flags beside players' names. So you're saying yeah, that yeah. At home sort of atmosphere. There were a lot of Irish players in the camp. There was, yeah. There was... Um, you know, I, I I was going to be 16 when I was leaving home, so it was important for me to to try and have people that have been through the same as me around me to to make it easier for me. Um, and even within the under 17s, the under 19 squads in the academy in Sunderland, there was I think there were nine or ten, uh, nine or ten Irish lads, and then there was five or six in the reserve team squad who were who had just come out of the academy the year before, like uh, Thomas Butler, Cliff Bourne, um, Brendan. McGill, who ended up going back to, to play at home in the league as well, um, and then the first team squad had the likes of Niall Quinn in it. So yeah. um, the times where I'd been over, the times where I'd been over on trial, um, the the younger players had always spoke well about the older ones looking after them and, and making sure they were always they were always okay. And do you think in your career, did going to Sunderland in the first place did that set you up well at that level of professionalism playing playing football in England? Um, I, I'll be honest with you. It 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 didn't. It it took me a long time. It took me a long time really, to to realise that that you needed to be professional if you wanted to reach the, the target you set for yourself. Um, yeah. I I I started. I had a. I broke into the first team when I was eighteen, and then the the following year, the following year, I had an injury for 
I think it was nine nine months, nine or ten months from from August until the following April. And the whole time when I was injured, I I didn't. I suppose I I was only nineteen, so I didn't really know how to to adapt and look after myself at the time. Yeah. Um. So I, I was probably doing all the wrong things. Whereas now, everything is monitored um, by the clubs and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, I just didn't, I didn't dedicate myself enough in that in that year. You can hear the dog going mad here. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't dedicate myself enough in that year of injury, which, which I think hurt me when I came back from injury. Then because I, I probably, I probably painted a picture for myself within the the coaching, the the coaching staff that. It was difficult for me to fight my way back from that. Yeah, and then so you leave Sunderland in two thousand five. You have your your spell with with Scunthorpe, with Boston United, and uh, and Royal Antwerp as well. And then yeah. of course being being a psycho man, you know yourself. I was always going to talk for a while about Rovers. Yeah, when, yeah. If when I say the name Sligo Rovers to you, right, I or mentioned even Sligo, what what comes to mind straight away? Just great memories. Great memories, and I think I, I spoke to somebody maybe a month ago, and I said it's the most uh, it's the most memorable time I've had in my career. Uh, it's probably the most successful time, which it, in a lot of cases means it's the most memorable time because everybody likes to have success. Um, so yeah, that that's the first thing that that pops into my head, and usually when somebody mentions like Rovers, it, it puts a smile on my face. And you had you had great success at Rovers as well. I mean, you went. Yeah, like 2008, 2011, you had three or four years there with the Rovers, two FAI Cups in that space of time. Um, yeah. And you're suspended for the 2010 final, if, if I'm not mistaken. But you got that, yeah. 20, you got that 2011 final then. Um, let's, start, let's talk about the 2010 final first. It was a, it's a pure roller coaster of a game. You had to watch it back now, if you even watch the penalties, as you know yourself. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the, the 2010 game was. For for me, Matthew Blinkhorn, it was it was definitely an emotional roller roller coaster from the minute we woke up that morning and you go to breakfast and all the boys are starting to get the nerves and the adrenaline pumping and you're just sitting there thinking you, know, you wish you were going to be a part of it. But then yeah. you, we needed we needed to to help as much as we could because I think anybody that knows that squad of players that was there at that time knows how much they were together and how much they got along well together. Um, so it was an, an important role for me and Blinks that day to, to make sure we helped as much as we could to, to make the boys have success. And then the game itself, I don't know, you, you, you just get attracted to the penalties straight away because what happened in the penalties, I don't think we'll ever, we'll ever see again. Yeah, it was Tiger Rovers or, 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 any, or any other Rovers. Um, and I'm sure Kieran Kelly would be first to tell you that as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, like that that period, let's say from from maybe oh nine to twelve and thirteen, even after you left Cycle Rovers, for yeah. me, I would have been from the age of nine nine to twelve or thirteen. There would have been a lot of lads my age that would have gone to games, um, and we're just lucky that we were at that age going to games, and it was sort of a, I suppose a, a golden era you could call it a few years with Cycle yeah, Rovers. Yeah. And there were some great characters in that team as well, like all over the field. Do you think that, like the likes of Gavin Pearce and Alan Keane, yourself, Raf, Matthew Blinkhorn, Joey and Doe, like just how, like what was the dressing room like with that many characters in it? 
just great crack. Yeah. Uh, honestly, just just wild, wild. Like you couldn't get away with anything. Whatever, whatever you wore into the dressing room in the morning, you knew somebody was going to have a go at you. Whatever you done on the training pitch, somebody was going to take the Mickey out. You. It was just. And I, I think great credit has to go to Cookie with the, the character that he brought, because it, there was a mix. There was a mix of everything, and you, you couldn't you couldn't have taken life too serious in that dressing room, or you would have been. I, I think you probably would have been out of the club fairly quick, and um, because right. he, even Cookie himself, he he was constantly taking the piss out of people as well. Um, there was just just a good feeling, and I I think the biggest. Probably people people don't really look back on it, I suppose, because the success came the year after. But probably the biggest kick up the backside for that group of players was losing the cup final in two thousand and nine. Um, in the fashion that we lost uh, to a team from the first division, which is not expected to happen, and um, I think the majority of the team was was back again in two thousand and ten, and sort of felt like we had something to prove. Um, and yeah, they just cracking the dressing room and. Yeah, no, like Cookie was one of them that win, lose, or draw. He wanted you to to live your life the same way. Yeah, and he'd say that he'd say that to us before games. Like, look, we won't give it your everything tonight, and hopefully we get a win, and you go and have a couple of pints together. I know anybody that knows that group of players knows that we all love having a couple of pints together. So, <laughs> um, it, but like people laugh, and I think at our level of football, it's important to have that that uh, togetherness and that spirit that you, you enjoy spending time together off the field as well you know and that, bring, that brings you together so that you work hard on the field for each other yeah and I, like as you were saying there fellas dodgy clothes calling fellas out in that are there any moments that, that stick out in the memory that you can talk about on camera I suppose <laughs> from, uh, from that dressing room Anyone there's a few the that you can see on camera uh, there's definitely a few I can't say on camera. <laughs> um, no, the, Dan, Danny Ventry was usually was usually the one instigating everything. Danny, I've met many scousers through my career, and they've always they've always had a good sense of humour and always been the one to to throw it out. Um, Danny was always involved. There was I don't know, it's Danny, not really one that sticks out. The, probably the the wildest times were were when we were out having a night out or whatever and they're probably things that can't be spoken about on camera to be honest um, yeah it, you, you know it just wasn't a safe place to be you, you, yeah. you'd literally have to you'd have to go into your wardrobe in the morning and make a tactical decision on, on what you'd wear going into the training into the training ground that day so that so that somebody wouldn't take the piss out of you as you said it's a special group of players um, and I'm not Maybe not when I say a laid back approach, but that approach, as you said, as as Paul Cook said, you know, you can have them a couple of points after the games. Is that something that you think is missing from football and all sports, really? That, um, that ability to go and, like, you know, relax, have a few points after a game, all that sort of stuff. I I think it's important. Maybe 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 the game has changed a little bit now because there's so much so much study that goes into diet and sports science and all that side of things. But I honestly think, like, we, we, were, we were fit as fiddles. And Cookie knew that because he, he put us through a tough pre-season. But he, he knew we were, 
at that time, the majority of our squad was was mid twenties. Yeah, uh, we're mid twenties. We enjoyed each other's company. We enjoyed to go out and have a laugh, and we we enjoyed being in Sligo. Sligo is an enjoyable town to be a part of, and especially when the when the team was doing well. Um, I I, I thought it was very important, and I I still think it's important, especially at League of Ireland level football, USL over here, um, because you don't necessarily have the the level of player that's going to make such a big difference. Like that's that much talented, that much more talented than the player next to them. So I I think it's important to have that collective togetherness that you you're good friends. You and I know I do anything for my friends. So yeah. if I can build that connection with teammates, then I do anything for them as well. And I think that's that's what Cookie that's what Cookie built there. Um, I, I don't know. Jay McGuinness told me told me the story when he was signing for Sligo Rovers, and he he went he came up to Sligo and had a, a meeting in the office with Cookie, and uh, one of the first questions Cookie said to him was, "Do you like having a pint?" <laughs> and you know, it, at that time, it's a, it's a tricky question from a manager because you don't know. What Are they the trying right to pull a fast one on you? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, Jay's response was on occasions yeah and cookie said to him cookie said to him well you better get your get your act together if you want to fit in around here <laughs> and like jay was like from, from day one then he knew that it was going to be a good a good atmosphere and, and cookie was very laid back and wanted the wanted the players to be happy off the field as well um wanted us to be so happy off the field rain we were playing shamrock rovers you might have heard this one before but this is one of my favorite stories about cookie um, we were playing Shamrock Rovers away on a Friday night and I think they were it was 2011 yeah because Jay was there 2011 and uh, we, we needed to beat them to stay in contention to for the title race and um, we were training out in Riverstown and we just started doing a jog around the field and getting loosened up and whatever and so, somebody brought up something about bacon sandwich or something and Cookie said, oh, I'd fucking love a bacon sandwich now. And then Davo was like, oh, I'd take one as well, gaffer. And then Jay McGuinness just cracked a joke and said, oh, I'll give me missus a shout and she'll put them on for us. And literally Cookie stopped right there and said, go and call your missus now. Yeah. Go, go and call your miss. Go and call your, go and call your missus. Tell her to go down to the shop in Riverstown and get a load of bread and bacon for the lads. And we will stop training right now if she's willing to do it. And we, we didn't train. You didn't train at all? We didn't train. We stopped the session. We were only doing the jog around the field at the time. We hadn't even started the session. And this is the day before we went to play Shamrock Rovers. But he, he knew we were, we were prepared. He knew whatever we'd done the day before the game wasn't really going to influence how we were going to play on a, on a Friday night. Yeah. And, we went and we went and John Dillon scored the winner. Um, he scored. I think he scored a header at the back post. We won. We won two one away from home. But like, if you were to say that to people, the preparation was like that. They'd say, "Ah, no chance you're going to win tomorrow." Yeah, jeez, that's daft. But but he he knew he knew how to how to look after players and how to how to manage them. Yeah, his player management. His player management was was another level. 
Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. He he knew how each each person each personality would could deal with different things. Um, she had a bacon sandwiches were lovely. <laughs> Come here, Richie. You're, for the last five ten minutes or so, you painted this picture, an ideal scenario um, within Sligo Rovers camp, the players, the management, everything. I suppose the next question is, um, why did you go to? Why did you leave Sligo? Um, it was probably it was just an opportunity for me, Liam, to to go back across to the UK, uh, to go to the SPL, which is regarded as a bigger league, I suppose. Um, yeah. And yeah, I sort of felt like I, I had something to prove to myself um, after being in the UK before and. And not really working out the way I would have liked it to. It was a chance to to go across and and try and put things right, um, which didn't didn't pan out the way I I intended it to. But um, it it was difficult. It it was difficult to leave Sligo. I, I remember we were still celebrating the cup final. Um, I think it was the Tuesday or the Wednesday, and I, I I think it was in Fiddlers and Cookie was beside me. We were just chatting, and he said, "You're gone, aren't you?" And I said, yeah, I think so. And he said, no, I, he said, I agree with you. I think it's, I think it's the right time for you to go and chance it again. Because um, he, he, he was aware that there was, there was a couple of clubs watching me. So, um, yeah, I, I just felt as if it was the, it was the right time for me to go. Playing. I, could, I could have stayed on the year after, and you know, I would have won the league with the club, and but that chance might never have come for me again. Yeah, and um, like. I, They've been listening to um, uh, Patrick Holbin's interview with um, with EJ EJ Menswer there during yeah. the day, and, and he went over to England as well. And it just it just happens that it works out for some guys, and some guys it doesn't work out for. That's it, and you know, it, I, I never want to look back on my career and, and say, "Oh well, I didn't take a chance on," or maybe I should have done that, or maybe I shouldn't. Um, you take a chance on everything because, especially in, in football, career doesn't last long. Um, and some things work out and some don't. You can't really you can't really dwell on things for for too long. When guys go from Ireland to England, that's the I suppose England is the the place that everyone wants to get to to make the big break. But in other way, yeah. you found your you found your break. Um, I suppose what it'd be f- five years ago now, six years ago when you you headed over to the states. Yeah, um, like like I said, things didn't things didn't pan out. They didn't pan out the way I I wanted them to. Going going to Scotland and eighteen months after after I moved, I was I, I was told I could leave the club with with a year left on my contract. So obviously I had had a couple of things to think about, and uh, moving to America was was always something that moving to America or Canada over over to play football over here was always something that interested me I, kn- I knew the game was the game was growing rapidly over here so um, I, I think it was at that stage where I I thought they, I'd played in Ireland for a few years Rain, and then I'd moved back back over to the UK and it hadn't worked out and I, I just fancied a, fancied a new challenge um, so I, I ended up I was sitting in the garden one day in, in Dundee and I started following a couple of agencies on, on Twitter and one of them one of them got back to me and within a couple of days he had a he had an offer 
from Ottawa Fury for me. But it wasn't an offer at that time. It was just them saying they wanted to sign me, but they weren't they weren't able to give the offer until um, the end of the NASL season that year, which which was November time. Okay. So it meant that it meant that I was going to be without football for for half a year, um, and that that was when I went back and signed for Shamrock Rovers for half a season. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to move over to America. As you said, it's something that you always wanted to do, but there is the like there is a barrier there as well, where you're like, I'm I'm moving halfway across the world nearly. Yeah, yeah, it's um, <laughs> it was strange. We, we found out the week before we moved away that we, uh, my wife was pregnant, so okay, that was put put even more more question marks in front of moving away. Yeah, yeah. So we said we we just we just go. I'd only signed a year contract, so. Our, our thought was let's go and try it out for a year and if we enjoy it we'll stay over there for a while and if we don't we can come back after a year mm. um, so thankfully six years down the line now and we're, we're still here so I hope you're enjoying it so if you're there if you're there six years <laughs> yeah but it's probably the only place I can get a contract now to be honest <laughs> <laughs> it's um uh, as you said there, so you moved to Ottawa first, and then Jacksonville Armada after that. I, I want to get on to yeah. Miami FC, um, yeah. because it was in Miami where you got to play under Alejandro Nesta. Yeah. That it and yeah. uh, Paolo Mandini was a, a co-owner of the club as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, that's we, just that's just stuff you write in your copybook in in junior inference, like, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you have your stickers on your book. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it was f- funny actually because 2015 um, in Ottawa, we were sitting in the dressing room, and then the Miami club was confirmed for 2016. And the the player Sanisha Ubi used to be at Montreal Impact with Nesta when Nesta played in the MLS, and he was like, "Oh, I think Nesta will be the head coach there." And I said, oh, "What a club that be to play for!" Yeah, like never, never, never having a clue that it would have happened but um, yeah to get the chance to go there then the following that was probably five six months after that conversation um, was brilliant yeah and to like I said to to play under somebody like Nesta was an experience that you could you could only ever dream of it's like some some fellas that go from being uh, one of the world's best in their position to being a manager it doesn't always work out but what sort of an impact did he have on you uh, huge, huge. I, I I signed I signed at Miami when I was thirty one, and the things he taught me within a couple of weeks of the position of the field I played and in the system that we played there. I I was trying to do things the total opposite when I arrived at the club. And he was nice. like, "No, I, I don't I don't want you coming in there. I I don't want my number six in there. I want you in here." And then I started to see over the course of time, why he wanted you to stay in these positions. And you, you see these different patterns of play develop and you affecting the game where he wants you to stay rather than being ineffective in the places I was going into. Okay. Um, so yeah, very tactically, tactically brilliant, as you would expect from somebody who's played at the, the level he played at and what he's won in his career. Um, Intensity on the training pitch, a whole nother level. 
if you did if you didn't reach the heights that he'd set for you, you'd be on the training pitch for two and a half hours some days, just trying to get right. there. He would keep going and going and going until until he was happy with the with the standards of the training. He, he didn't care if you were out there two and a half hours. Yeah, and I think that's something that um, I remember hearing Patrice ever say it when he went to when he went to Juventus. There's this perception of the Italian league that it's kind of slow paced and that, but he said it's actually some of the hardest training he ever did was was out yeah. in Italy. And was that something, as you said there, that he might keep you back after training? Was that something that Nesta brought to to the team Miami? I remember my first day of training. I arrived there in the morning, and we trained in the we trained in the afternoon. And I honestly thought we had a game. We were traveling for a game the day after, and playing. So that was a Thursday evening we were playing on the Saturday evening. And I honestly thought, is this fella serious? I'm training this hard two days before a game. I was I, <laughs> I was honestly coming off the training pitch thinking, what have I signed for here? You were on the phone to Paul Cook. <laughs> <laughs> trying to get moved to Portsmouth. <laughs> um, no, but it, he, he, he put... A lot of physical demands on the team, but they, once once you got used to it and your body adapted to it, it became second nature to you. And then once you start winning games, you nobody has an issue with how hard training is when you're when you're winning. So, yeah. And uh, and did you have any um, any interactions with uh, Maldini with him being a, a co-owner of the club? He was never there. Ian. Never there at all. Never there. Ne- Never seen him once. No. Just like, <laughs> seen just a picture of the line. <laughs> yeah, seen a picture of him as the co-owner, but that was the only the only time I ever seen him. Right. Um, yeah. I, I I think it was more. Uh, it might have been more a publicity stunt. Yeah. Than than anything else, I'm sure if he was that, involved, he would have been there. He would have been there a few times. So you go from Miami, Florida to Cincinnati, which is Ohio. I'm very sure. And uh, yeah. now you're in El Paso in Texas. How are you finding? I suppose we'll, you know, talk about Cincinnati as well. But um, since your move from Miami to Cincinnati and now to, um, and now to El Paso, um, like what? What's the reason behind the move? The constant moving is it kind of like the League of Ireland where fellas do move from, could move from club to club every year? Is it the same sort of system over there? Yeah, it, it it's it's a very similar, very similar league in that respect. Um, a lot of players sign one year contracts. Um, I I was unfortunate, unfortunate, at the same time that in in Miami I signed for two and a half years and the league the league fell apart. Uh, the league fell apart two years into my or year and a half into my contract maybe. Okay. So, um, I was. I was available to leave and I was fortunate enough that a club like Cincinnati wanted to sign me because they, in my opinion, they were the biggest club outside the MLS at the time. Right. And their fan, their fan base was unbelievable. Never, I never, I never seen anything like the fan base there. Really? Um, Yeah. Yeah. And definitely, definitely not in North America. I think when they were in the USL, they might have been like the fifth best average of of attendances, including the MLS. Okay. Their their average crowd when I was there in 2018 was 25,000 every week. Wow. So 
yeah, that, that was a no-brainer for me to to move to Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I, I had a I had a deal at Cincinnati that with one year USL, and we knew they were going to the MLS the following year, and I had a deal. The second year of my contract was was to go to the MLS with them. Um, and then for whatever reason, the manager that signed me on that contract decided that he didn't want to take me to follow him okay. to the MLS. So, um, yeah, that, that was that was difficult for me and the family because we, we were very, were very settled in Cincinnati, and yeah. um, to have that news at the end of the year that we had to move on um, was difficult for us to accept because. We sort of said that was that was going to be home for us in in North America. Yeah, and it's it's different, you know, moving from let's say Tipperary to Sligo to Dublin. It's different <laughs> yeah. from from moving from Miami to Cincinnati. Like slightly different. I I was down south on the east, and then up to what was the, the Midwest, Cincinnati, and then down to the very south of West Texas, like literally just across the border from Mexico. Yeah, like um, uh, how? Yeah, it's it's I strange. How? I'm just gonna say how. <laughs> yeah, that's all, that's all you need to say. Yeah. Um, no, the the manager here, the manager here in El Paso, I worked with at Jacksonville in 2016 for the few months I was there. Okay. Uh, an English English coach called Mark Lowry, and we always stayed in touch over the over the last few years. And then as soon as as soon as he knew I was becoming available, um, he made me an offer to come down here for a couple of years. So um, it, it was a good chance for me, a, a good chance for me to come and play for Mark, who I know has the same thoughts on the game as myself. So um, and then come here as one of his assistants as well to try and learn that side of the game as well. Because as I've experienced over the last year, I don't think many players realise how much work goes into the coaching side of things. Yeah. Is that um, your outlook on the coaching side of things? Has that changed? Um, and even the amount of coaches involved in a team, I suppose. How have you seen that change from, when, from say, what, 15, 16 years ago? My outlook on it, Ring. How have you seen that change? Like, you know, the amount oh, of coaches involved in a team? Yeah, yeah. All the technology now, the the studies, the analysing of opposition teams, that that all wasn't there 14, 15, 16 years ago. Yeah. And, and now, now a lot of coaching is done in the office, watching video, the studying the opposition teams, and cutting video and trying to put sessions together and stuff. Um, it, it's literally from seven o'clock in the morning until nearly seven o'clock that evening. Um, and you get your couple of hours on the training pitch, which is probably the most enjoyable part. Um, yeah. With, with the with the team, um. So I, yeah. From from a player's point of view, I don't think I don't think they realise how much work goes into the coach as well. Mm. Um. I. It, it's sort of it's setting me up a little bit to to make me aware of of what's next if that's what I want to move into. As you said there, what's next? Twelve clubs is El Paso the final stop on the train. Uh, playing wise, definitely, yeah. And do you playing want to, definitely. if as you're saying there with coaching, do you want to go into? Um, would you plan on going into a coaching role with with El Paso then? Um, that's the that's the plan. 
Liam. Um, I, I think I have another year left in me playing, and the the manager the manager here thinks I have another year left in me playing. Um, obviously not not having to put the mileage on the clock over the over the last few months might help. Yeah. Um, see, I did. I, I I think the possibility of one more year playing is is real um, and probably what I want to do um, and just gives me a little bit of time to make sure I'm ready I'm ready mentally and I'm definitely sure I'll be ready physically to hang them up at the end of next year That's well and, to, and, to, and like you said move, move into the coaching side of things yeah. hopefully here hopefully here in El Paso Oh Richie we've gone through all the clubs I've got a few um, I, I asked out on Instagram uh, if there's any questions for you as you know yeah. Um, and a good few people text in saying they were looking forward to the podcast uh, and to text in with their questions as well. But before we go into that, I've got a few names here of players. Uh, when I say the name, I want you to say what pops into your head. No, it can be a memory of them or what, what you you know what you think of on the field or whatever. Um, I've kind of gone or, or through some the of them field. already. Or off the field. Off the field is even better. <laughs> Um, the first one is um, is Paul Cook, and I know we've talked a bit about him already, but legend, just the best man manager I've ever had, and just uh, an absolute gentleman, and and a madman. <laughs> um, second one there, Owen Doyle, goal scorer, fox in the box, just one of these natural. Goal scores, Josh, and you see, you see it over the last number of years with Tyler. You just get the chance he scores. Like there, there's no. The thing I like about Tyler, like he doesn't try to be fancy in front of the goal a lot of the times. He just hits the back of the net. He doesn't care whether he dinks the keeper. He doesn't doesn't have to be a pretty finish. It doesn't care, doesn't matter whether it goes in the top corner. It just matters it goes in. And that's why he's he's carved out the career. He's, he's carved out for himself. Another fella who went to England and. Uh... I suppose he's this guy has perfected his craft, Seamus Gorman. I don't know if there's a word to describe Seamus. Um, what she, what Seamus achieved in his career is will never be seen again. To go from to go from, I I would say Seamus at Sligo was when I was there was raw. I I think Seamus now is a complete fullback. He bombs yeah. forward, he bombs back, he's tenacious, he can defend. He can score goals now. I, I think the willingness that Shamey has shown to learn how to become the player he is today um, shows the type of person he is. Uh, he, he just he's just a driven driven person. That that's like he was always one of the ones that was he was willing to work harder than anybody else. Um, next name uh, is Baco. <laughs> tight, tight, tight. Yeah, a tight worker, is it? <laughs> I'd say so. Yeah, um, money daft, money daft. Yeah, the only the only man I know that every conversation revolves around money. <laughs> right. Um, but as a footballer, Bocco was exceptional for us. Um, yeah, he had a few stints. He had a few stints at the club. Yeah, but it, I, an, I think it, it shows how good Bocco was as a player. The fact that he'd been away from the club a couple of times, and Cookie always wanted to bring him back. And even 
like Paul Cook brought him with him to a few places as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, was, that, was that? Did he have a good mix of a good character and a good work rate and, and a good footballer? Oh, he did. Yeah, yeah. He, he was a good footballer. Buckle worked. He worked his backside off. Um, and like I said, really good player. Uh, worked hard, good on the ball. Chipped in with a few goals as well. Um, and I think that's that's why Cookie took him to. I think he took him to Accrington, maybe Chesterfield as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he was at Portsmouth for a bit, I think, was he? He, he no, could have he, been. Where, where, wherever Cookie's been, Bocco's been. He was in the suitcase with him. <laughs> and very versatile player as well. He he played in a lot of positions was, he, for overs, anyways. Right back, right wing, number 10 position, striker, centre mid. He, he, he was an intelligent player. Like you said, and he, he was versatile, so he, he could do the job in, in many positions for us. Um, next up, I suppose, maybe away from coaching uh, on a personal sort of way, um, Alejandro Nesta. Intense. Okay. Uh, intense, but a genius, genius with his mindset on the game. Um, just the way, the, way he taught, the way he taught about the game made all his players think about the game in a better way. What was he like in the dressing room? Was he a fellow that would be <laughs> shouting the odds or? Oh, you'd he, he, have to just sit there like that ring and hopefully not hit you. <laughs> yeah, if, right. if, uh, if things weren't going well, absolute nutcase. And then if, if things were going well, a nutcase as well, but in the, in the opposite way, like he'd scream and shout and and congratulate us and get a big slap on the head or a slap on the face to congratulate you. Yeah. Just a very, very affectionate, emotional fella. Um, but for, I, I think for players at, at our level, that it gave off a great, um, a great vibe from him because it showed that he cared. Because you, you would think somebody like him coming down to manage at a level like ours might not give a shit. Yeah, but it 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 showed us that he he cared about us as players and he cared about us winning games. Were the two, were himself and, and Cook two great coaches, but in different different meanings? Oh, totally, totally different styles. They're polar opposite styles, I suppose, and they just but they were both still great coaches. Yeah, and I think that's the I think that's the beauty of coaching. You can you can be a good coach in in different ways. Um, some are good with managing people and managing players and some some are good on the training pitch. Um I, I think Cookie Cookie was very much a, a man manager. Nesta was very much tactically clued into the game. Um and, and not such a good man manager. Mm. Okay. Uh, next name up, I've got to mention him, Raf Cotero. Tober Tornado. <laughs> Um, nah, Raf, Raf's a legend. Um, what, what Raf's done for Sligo Rovers, what he's done for Sligo Rovers, and what Raf has done for himself to have the career that he's had speaks volumes about. Um, he, he's probably one of the most dedicated professionals I've ever come across. Um, to I don't know what's he on now, he's 30 second season or something. Um, Something daft, all right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just did um, there with us at Real Tubber for Royals, I did. I see, I seen that. Yeah. yeah. 
uh, and then he, he he couldn't stay away, so he decided oh, to go back again. Yeah. Um, no, he. Raf to like Raf is Sligo Rovers. Um, you know, and hopefully one day, hopefully one day he will he will be the manager of Sligo Rovers. Because I I think that would be a great tribute for him, and and a great move from the club as well. Brilliant. Um, next name probably would have only played with him for a short stint. Uh, Gary Twig. He was. He wasn't there actually. Was he not? Shite. He's gone, yeah, yeah. No, you're okay, Rain. Um, yeah, I, I never got the chance to play with Gary Twig. He'd left that season, I think, and moved. Did he go up north? The Linfield, they, one they, of them. It might have been, and they, they signed our Linfield, or I can't remember. Um, but they'd actually signed Quigs back. So Mark, Mark Quigley was back at Shamrock Rovers at that time. Okay, I, I just. Um... Even playing against Gary Twig, I suppose. Yeah, because that that Shamrock Rovers team was they they were the they were the elite group for Shamrock Rovers at that time. Twig Twig was just a goal scorer as well. Yeah. Um. It, you knew if he got a chance, he was going to score. The same as same as Tyler a lot. Uh, I didn't think Gary Twig got too much involved in in the build-up play for Shamrock Rovers. Sort of kept himself away from it and just stayed as a an out and out striker for them. Um, and they they were out, they were littered with good players at the time, so they obviously created a lot of chances for him, and, and he was he was well able to finish them. Hmm. Um, one of the last names now, um, the manager from your time at Sunderland, Mick McCarthy. Honest. Honest. Honest is a word. Honest is a word I use for Mick. Yeah. Um, he was always very honest with me, and at that time I was I was a young player, so I didn't really, I I didn't take honesty at that time very well because it wasn't what I wanted to hear. Yeah, um, which I think is, which is difficult for a lot of players. You, you only want to be told what you want to hear. So, yeah, um, looking back on it now, the things that Mick told me at that time, if I had of, if they had a register with me at that time. I probably would have been at the club a lot longer than what it was. Do you think? Uh, do you think Mick isn't finished with coaching? Do you think he's going to go back somewhere else? I don't know. I don't know. It, I think I, having the career Mick has had at at club level and international level, and now just finished again at international level, he's not getting any younger. I, I think it might be a big ask for him now to to go back into. The daily grind of of club management again, um, and I, I know he's had stints in in the media work and stuff like that. So I, I think he yeah. might move back into that side of that side of the game. Uh, just a break, break it away from the from the names we're mentioning. Uh, I only saw it today actually. Um, I think it was called a baptism of fire. Mick gave you. He threw you into the the time wear derby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't I wasn't aware that was coming at all. I only found out the the morning before when I was supposed to fly home that weekend. I was okay. supposed to fly back to Ireland for the under eighteens FAI award or the, the FAI awards were on that Sunday and I was supposed to fly back on the the Friday Friday evening. So I trained with the under nineteen I played a reserve game towards the night against Liverpool. 
I trained with the under 19s Friday morning and I I had my bags packed and everything to, to leave Friday evening. And the reserve team manager came in and said, look, uh, what's your plans for the weekend? And I, I told him I was going back to Tip for a couple of days and then I had the awards Sunday. And uh, he said, no, change of plans, you're not allowed to go. And I I said, he can fuck off, Jockey, I'm going home for a couple of days. Um, uh, and then he said, no, the gaffer wants to see you, he wants you in the squad tomorrow. And yeah. I thought he was taking a mickley. And then he took me down to the first team side of the training ground. And the club captain, Michael Gray, at the time, met me on the way out the door and just shook me hand and said, congratulations, Rich, I'll see you tomorrow. Was that, your, just started. was that your first involvement with the first team? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Um, the first, yeah, that, that, that was the first taste I had. I hadn't really trained with them up until that point. Um, and then, yeah, Mick, Mick just dragged me into the office and said, are you ready? Are you ready to be involved tomorrow? And I didn't really, I didn't really know what to say. Mick is quite an intimidating character, so yeah, um, I was eighteen. I was eighteen at the time, and for any eighteen-year-old speaking to the first team manager is a daunting experience. Um, and he just said, "Look, make sure you you dress smart. Have you got Have you got a suit?" I said, "No." He said, "Go get yourself a suit in town, and and I'll see you tomorrow at the stadium at half one." So I made sure I was there. I was there for about one o'clock, quarter to one maybe, to to take it all in. And I was just sitting around at that time. It was only five substitutions. Yeah. So I thought I thought I was there were eighteen men in the squad. I thought I was going to be seventeen or eighteen man. And uh, Mick came rolling into the dressing room with ten to two, five to two, whatever it was. And every all the rest of the lads were getting changed. And he just looked at me and said, "Do you not want to be on the bench?" I said, what do you mean? He says, do you not want to get changed? I said, oh, I, I thought I was just going to be 17 or 18 months. He said, no, you're on the bench. There's your kit over there. So that was it then. <laughs> on, a, on a went and got on for the last 20 minutes. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it was an ex- a great experience. One that I didn't really embrace at the time because, you know, you're, you're 18. You just you think that that's going to become the norm. Mm. Um, but, but I look back on now with fond memories of it. Was that in terms of atmosphere? Was that probably the? Was that would that have been the loudest you had heard a stadium? Yeah, it definitely was. Like China, where Derby is huge. So the hatred yeah. between the two cities and hatred is a strong word, but there's there's a lot of it in the northeast. The two clubs mm. absolutely despise each other. Um, so yeah, to to get on in that game and to to experience. It was only 20 minutes, but it felt like it was two and a half hours running around the field. I was exhausted. Um, yeah. And just the noise that was generated from, from the fans. It was just it was just noise to me. I couldn't make out what was being sang or anything. It was just waves of noise. And me just trying to get my breath back after every yeah. run. And was there any stage, like whether you, whether you were sat on the bench or just before you were coming on, where you just looked around like... Holy shit! Shit, yeah, yeah. We right. uh, yeah, that every every couple of minutes, like. Yeah, it was pretty much from the from getting out there for the warm up. I was thinking, what the fuck am I doing here? Yeah. Um, and then Mick told me to go out and get warmed up. That was coming on, and I'm like, oh, here we go, here we go. Just please, please be okay. Please be yeah. okay. Don't do any, don't do anything stupid. Don't make any 
mistake that's going to cost the team or turn the fan turn the fans against you in the first twenty <laughs> minutes of football for them. Um, so yeah, I, I came on then, and I remember the first pass was from Jody Craddock, and he just rifled the ball into me with uh, I think it was Kieran Dyer or Jermaine Genius was was putting pressure on me from behind, and I just thought the ball just came flying at me, and I thought Jesus Christ, how am I going to deal with this split second? And I ended up dealing with it and just passing it off to Tommy Sorensen in goal. And uh, I thought, I'm not, I'm not able for balls that quick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it, no, I, did, I, fit, I fit it in okay. And over, over the next couple of weeks, I, I was with the first team full-time and I was with them full-time for, for pre-season. And then I picked up the injury, which led to not such a good spell. Yeah. Um... I suppose what have we got? I've got two or three more names now. Um on yeah, the yeah. topic of, of Sunderland as well. Gary Breen. Gentle giant. Um yeah, really looked after really looked after the Irish well as well. Um anything we needed. A lot of a lot of first team players wouldn't make much time for the young players. Um which which was tough for the young players to accept. And it just it, it painted a bad picture of of that first team individual straight away for the young players. Yeah. Now, he, Gary Breen was one of them that he'd never walk past a young player without saying good morning or asking how they are, and especially especially with the Irish lads, um, which was important for us. There was there was Gary Breen, there was Kev Kilban, Big Quinney, um, like the Christmas parties for the the academy players, the Irish the the first team Irish players were organised it. Yeah. And they they yeah, they come on the Christmas party with us. Whoa. Um so big big Quinny, Kilban, Gary Breen. Now Michael Gray and Kevin Phillips appeared on a couple of Christmas parties for the youth players as well, which yeah. they, they probably just fancy the piss up. So <laughs> um yeah, but no Gary Breen was brilliant. I I remember I was actually in I was in London on a weekend once. And just in in a bar, and randomly got a tap on the shoulder. And this was this was maybe three four years after I left Sunderland. Right. And it was, and it was it was big Gary Breen. And he just he just came over to have a chat and have a drink. And like a lot of players may have seen you and just thought, well, I I, I don't know him anymore. Or yeah. there's no point in saying hello to him. You know, but big Gary was he was different. I think like Gary Breen is one of these sort of like cult heroes when it comes to your soccer. Yeah, yeah. But like from yeah, what yeah. you've been saying there, I, th- I think a lot of footballers are defined by their ability on the field. But he's a professional in not just the five hundred plus club appearances he made, but a professional off the field as well. Yeah, I think that that's how. Like, you have to remember, you you were a youth team player once as well. Uh, I you want to you want to feel like a. Everybody wants to get to the top level. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think it's important for the older pros and the ones that have had success to, to embrace youth players and, and try and make it as easy as possible for them to and be as nice as possible to them to try and help them build a career for themselves. Yeah. And, and Gary and, and Kev Kilban and, and Noel Quinn were very much like that all the Irish lads. I've got the last name on the list, Joey and Doe. Ah. <laughs> how how long have you got? 
Um, <laughs> as long as a piece of string. Stop. You get emotional talking about Joe. Um, uh, Joe, Joe is a genius. Joe, Joe made an impact on on Sligo Rovers that that nobody will make on any club. Um, when, when we got beaten two thousand nine in the league or in the in the cup final, and then like I said, I, I thought that was a big kick up the backside for the group of players that were there. Um, and I think Joe Joe arrives three, four, five games into the into the following season. Um, and the impact Joe had on that dressing room and the way the way Joe just adapted to a chaotic dressing room where the banter was flying every day and nobody was safe, everybody was getting the Mickey taken out of him. And Joe just fitted right in. He didn't yeah. mind if you took the piss didn't mind if you took the piss out of him. He'd take the take the piss out of players in his own unique way. Um because he's a different personality to the rest of us. But it, and Joe was what maybe 34, 35 at the time. Yeah. And we 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 were all mid twenties. Um and he just adapted in and he, he took he took the player each player in that dressing room from, from this level to the next level. Uh, as a footballer on the pitch and as professionals off the pitch. Mm. I think we all just we all just looked at Joe. And seeing the way Joe lived his, his life from Monday to Friday preparing for games. Yeah. And I think ev- everybody, without really knowing that Joe had the, was having that impact on us, sort of adapted their own lives to that. And yeah, we, we still, we play on a Friday night, we'd, we'd enjoy our weekends, which, which Cookie wanted from us. But from Monday to Friday, Joe lifted, he lifted everybody, he lifted everybody as a professional, which then turned us all into better players on the field. Um and yeah, you just give the give the ball to Joe, you know, he was never gonna he was never gonna lose it. I think um, he brought he brought something different to the even the fans as well. Yeah, definitely, because he was that type of player. He he gets you off your seat. Yeah. Um he he's one of them players, Rain, that Joe when he was younger at shells and stuff, he was more of a dribbler and tricks and flicks and his time with Shamrock Rovers, and when he when he came to us, he was, Joe was like, you know, like, he was like a Paul Scholes then. He just dictated yeah. the pace of the game. He drop in, get on the ball, do a little trick here and there, um, and just control games for us. Yeah. Um, so he, he was just an intelligent player, so intelligent. Um, I I don't think people speak enough about how intelligent he was as a footballer. Hmm. I think that's that's the perfect way to wrap up the podcast now. Um, Richie, thanks a million for joining me. No problem at all, Rain. Thanks for having me on. Um, I think it's it's something that we can nearly have another chat again. We might get a few a few more guys on the podcast who might have you know three or four different different heads dot around here from uh, from from that Rovers dressing room. <laughs> it could, it could be might, dangerous. You, you might struggle. You might struggle to get a word in. <laughs> I just um I just let you add it. I just press record and let you add it. Um, there probably there'll probably be a few points added that one. Well, it'll have to do. It'll have to do. <laughs> Listen, Richie, thanks William for coming on. Um, for everyone watching, hope you've enjoyed. Or if you're listening on Spotify, hope you enjoyed as well. Um, this today is Friday. Well, it'll, this will be going up Friday, so the big week ahead. Um, check out on Instagram who's coming up and stuff like that. Um.
and yeah hope you enjoyed the podcast and 